Hello, and welcome to Brimstone Society. society. My name is Matt, and I will be your storyteller. This week, we will be telling you two stories. First, Autopilot by Scaro, and second, There's a Reason I Stopped Swimming in Indoor Pools by Worcester Street on the r slash no sleep reddit forum. Have you ever forgotten your phone? When did you realize you'd forgotten it? I'm guessing you didn't just smack your forehead and exclaim, damn, apropos of nothing. The realization probably didn't dawn on you spontaneously. More likely, you reached for your phone, pawing open your pocket or handbag, and were momentarily confused by it not being there. Then, you did a mental recap of the morning's events. Shit. In my case, my phone's alarm woke me up as normal, but I realized the battery was lower than I expected. It was a new phone, and it had its annoying habit of leaving applications running that drained the battery overnight. So I put it on to charge while I showered, instead of putting it into my bag like normal. It was a momentary slip from the routine, but that was all it took. Once in the shower... My brain got back into the routine. It follows every morning. And that was it. Forgotten. This wasn't just me being clumsy. As I later researched, this is a recognized brain function. Your brain doesn't just work on one level. It works on many. Like when you're walking somewhere. You think about your destination and avoiding hazards, but you don't need to think about keeping your legs moving properly. If you did, the entire world would turn into one massive hilarious quap cosplay. I wasn't thinking about regulating my breathing. I was thinking whether I should grab a coffee on the drive to work. I did. I wasn't thinking about moving my breakfast through my intestines. I was wondering whether I'd finish on time to pick up my daughter, Emily, from the nursery after work, or get stuck with just another late fee. This is the thing. There's a level of your brain that just deals with routine, so that the rest of the brain can think about other things. Think about it. Think about your last commute. What do you actually remember? Probably little, if anything. Most common journeys blur into one, and recalling any one in particular is scientifically proven to be difficult. 
do something often enough, and it becomes routine. Keep doing it, and it stops being processed by the thinking bit of the brain, and gets regulated to a part of the brain dedicated to dealing with routine. Your brain keeps doing it, without you thinking about it. Soon, you think about your route to work as much as you do keeping your legs moving when you walk. Most people call it autopilot. But there's danger there. If you have a break in your routine, your ability to remember and account for the break is only as good as your ability to stop your brain going into routine mode. My ability to remember my phone being on the counter is only as reliable as my ability to stop my brain entering morning routine mode, which would dictate that my phone is actually in my bag. But I didn't stop my brain entering routine mode. I got in the shower as normal. Routine started. Exception forgotten. Autopilot engaged. My brain was back in the routine. I showered, I shaved, the radio forecasted amazing weather. I gave Emily her breakfast and loaded her into the car. She was so adorable that morning. She complained about the bad sun in the morning blinding her, saying it stopped her having a little sleep on her way to the nursery. And then I left. That was the routine. It didn't matter that my phone was on the counter charging silently. My brain was in the routine, and in the routine my phone was in my bag. This is why I forgot my phone. Not clumsiness, not negligence. Nothing more than my brain entering routine mode and overriding the expectation of an exception occurring. Autopilot Engaged. I left for work. It's a swelteringly hot day already. The bad sun had been burning since before my traitorously absent phone woke me. The steering wheel was burning hot to the touch when I sat down. I think I heard Emily shift over behind my driver's seat to get out of the glare. But I got to work. Submitted the report. Attended the morning meeting. It's not until I took a quick coffee break and reached for my phone that the illusion shattered. I did a mental restep. I remembered the dying battery. I remembered putting it onto charge. I remembered leaving it there. My phone was on the counter. Autopilot disengaged. Again, there lies the danger. Until you have that moment, the moment you reach for your phone and shatter the illusion, that part of the brain is still in routine mode. It has no reason to question the facts of the routine. That's why it's a routine. The act of repetition. It's not as if anyone could say, why didn't you remember your phone? Didn't it occur to you? How could you forget? You must be negligent. This is to miss the point. My brain was telling me the routine was completed as normal, despite the fact that it wasn't. It wasn't that I forgot my phone 
according to my brain, according to the routine, my phone was in my bag. Why would I think to question it? Why would I check? Why would I suddenly remember out of nowhere that my phone was on the counter? My brain was wired into the routine and the routine was that my phone was in my bag. The day continued to bake. The morning haze gave way to the relentless fever heat of the afternoon. Tarmac bubbled. The direct beams of heat threatened to crack the pavement. People swapped coffees for iced smoothies. Jackets discarded, sleeves rolled up, ties loosened, brows mopped. The parks slowly filled with sunbathers and barbecues. Window frames threatened to warp. The thermometer continued to swell. Thank fuck the offices were air-conditioned. But, as ever, the furnace of the day gave way to a cooler evening. Another day, another dollar. Still cursing myself for forgetting my phone, I drove home. The day's heat had baked the inside of the car, releasing a horrible smell from somewhere. When I arrived on the driveway, stones crunching comfortingly under my tires, my wife greeted me at the door. Where's Emily? Fuck. As if the phone was bad enough. After everything, I'd left Emily at the fucking nursery after all. I immediately sped back to the nursery. I got to the door and started practicing my excuses, wondering vainly if I could charm my way out of a late fee. I saw the piece of paper stuck to the door. Due to vandalism overnight, please use side door. Today only. Overnight? What? The door was fine this... I froze. My knees shook. Vandals. A change in the routine. My phone was on the counter. It hadn't been there this morning. My phone was on the counter. I'd driven past because I was drinking my coffee. I'd not dropped off Emily. My phone was on the counter. She'd moved her seat. She hadn't been in her sight in the mirror. My phone was on the counter. She'd fallen asleep out of the bad sun. She didn't speak when I drove past her nursery. My phone was on the counter. She changed the routine. My phone was on the counter. She changed the routine and I'd forgotten to drop her off. My phone was on the counter. Nine hours. That car. The baking sun. No air, no water, no power, no help. That heat. A steering wheel too hot to touch. That smell. I walked to the car door. Numb. Shock. I opened the door. My phone was on the counter. And my daughter was dead. Autopilot. 
disengaged. There's a reason I stopped swimming in indoor pools. I'm not too ashamed to say that I made some stupid decisions in my teenage years. Most of them resulted in little more than scrapes and stories. Though on more than one occasion I found myself in the back of a squad car, pleading my case with an annoyed sheriff. No. Me and my buddies would have told you that was, for the most part, relatively harmless. But one day, early in my senior year, I had an experience that still haunts me. A memory that I can't look at directly without a wave of goosebumps sweeping over my skin. Travis was the one who suggested it, of course. Travis, the undisputed king of horrible, awful, awesome ideas. Travis, who once suggested tying sleds to the back of his truck while he did burnouts in a snow-covered parking lot. It's been nearly 20 years, but I'm still picking pieces of gravel out of my elbows from that one. But that's not the memory that keeps me up at night. No. I earned those mental scars on a crisp fall afternoon, still a month from the year's first snow. Travis had approached me and two other friends after football practice, his trademark chipped front tooth making him seem like a crazed moonshiner. I know what we're doing tonight, he'd say. The hotel down by Highway 43 got bed bugs. We're going there with Leah and her friends. I shot him a quizzical look. You want to get bed bugs? Are you stupid, he asked. No, they're gassing the bugs until later this month. In the meantime, the entire place is deserted. We're going to go swim in their indoor pool. My uncle worked on their AC system a few years back and said that they never lock the back door to that pool house. My still underdeveloped brain did a quick run of risk analysis. Not about whether we should trespass and risk arrest, but whether I'd be able to lie to my old man about our plans for the night. I figured it was about even odds, so I agreed. Travis swung by my place later that night in his truck. Unfortunately, my pop was out at a church activity. If he'd been home, maybe he would have stopped me. Maybe I wouldn't have gone into that pool. Maybe none of what was to follow would have happened. I suppose there's no point in going down the long list of what-ifs. I joined a half-dozen friends in the bed of his truck, holding on for dear life as he careened down Main Street. The night was warm for early October, but the wind whipping across the bed of the truck was still cool and crisp on my bare legs below my swim trunks. We passed by a house where Leah, who was Travis's girlfriend, was waiting along with a few more girls and two cases of beer. The hotel was dark when we arrived. Its faded facade looking even more forlorn and forsaken than usual. Most of the windows had already been covered in a black plastic sheeting to prepare for the bedbug fumigation that would soon occur, cutting out almost all light. 
but not the pool house, though. No. The interior of the pool house shone with a faint neon green light. We poured out of the truck with our cans of beer, peering through the still-locked glass doors at the pool that lay beyond. The mysterious neon green light was emanating from a few exit signs hanging above the interior doors. Travis shook out his shoulders and ran at the fence, leaping over it with a few confident motions before disappearing behind the pool house. A few seconds later, what sounded like a heavy door opened on the other side of the building. He reappeared inside the pool house under one of the exit signs, the hazy green washing out the color of his appearance. He approached the door where we waited, then popped it open with a grin that displayed his half-tooth. I'd like to tell you that I felt some sense of foreboding, that I was nervous, that I had some inkling of what was going to happen. I wish I'd felt something to clue me in. Maybe if I did, I would feel better about swimming nowadays. I didn't. We all immediately jumped into the water and the cacophony of screams and shouts. A game of chicken was set up almost immediately. Jane, one of Leah's friends, hopped on my shoulders, fighting with Travis and Leah. We gave a valiant effort, but eventually lost when Travis swept my leg. At the time, that felt like any other night in a small main town. I got out of the water and downed another long sip of warm beer before walking over to the deep end. The signs along the side of the pool warned me in no uncertain terms that diving was prohibited, that the water was only six feet deep, and that serious injury could occur. But perhaps due to my pleasant tipsy sensation that I was beginning to feel, I dove straight into the dark green water anyway. I opened my eyes underwater, expecting to see little more than the green-tinged darkness. But instead of the dim bottom of the pool, I saw the shimmering surface of water, and beyond that, bright lights. I swam towards it, immediately confused. Had I been turned around somehow, and that someone had turned on the lights? I rubbed the water from my eyes as my head broke the surface of the water, pure confusion taking over me. I was floating in a pool, but I was no longer in the pool house surrounded by my friends. Instead, I was treading water in a brightly lit pit flanked by four high square walls that extended up at least forty feet to several large fluorescent lights in the ceiling above. I swam over to one of the walls, looking for an exit or a place to rest. The walls consisted of smooth tiles and grout, the kind you'd see in a nice bathroom. I slowly swam around all the four sides but found no purchase, no exit, no markings of any kind. Hello? I shouted. My voice bounced off the walls, returning my own greeting back at me from every angle. Is anyone there? 
Again, my voice echoed back for nearly ten seconds before fading into silence. Not... Not silence. Not... Not silence. Even at this distance, the incessant buzz of the fluorescent lights overhead was faintly audible over the sound of my treading water. The next... Several minutes passed with me alternating between calling out for help and trying to wake up from whatever nightmare this was. My arms and legs were already beginning to ache. If I didn't get help soon, I'd drown. I thought... I thought back to my dive, back to when I'd first seen the shimmering surface of the water. I had seen it where I'd expected to see the bottom of the hotel pool. That didn't make sense to me. But a new thought suddenly occurred to me. I stuck my face into the water and looked down. The water was at least twenty feet deep, but at least it was clear. The tile walls continued down below the surface. And there, way down at the dark bottom of the pool, the ground shimmered almost as if it were the surface of the water. I felt myself beginning to hyperventilate, so I took a deep breath and leaned to float on my back. The water rushed over my ears, replacing the sound of buzzing lights with the thunderous pulse of my own heartbeat. I floated on my back for what felt like an eternity, but what was probably no more than 90 seconds when my heart rate had slowed from the thundering to a mere drum. I took a few deep breaths, then dove down and began swimming towards the simmering surface far below me. The pressure built up in my ears, but I knew enough to blow out my nose to equalize. After a few final panicked strokes, I reached the surface of the water at the bottom of the pool and burst through. There was no neon green light on the other side. No sounds of my friends. Nothing but pitch black darkness and echoing drips as my breath returned, gasping and sputtering. I appeared to be in a cramped concrete tunnel of some kind. The walls were rough and met in an arch just a few inches over my head. Hello? I called out again. My voice shot down the tunnel in either direction, bouncing off the raw concrete as it traveled out into the distance. After a moment of terrified thought, I picked one direction as forward and started swimming, all too aware of my rapidly decreasing energy. I did my best to move straight but in the pitch blackness, I still found myself bumping my head into the concrete arch when I drifted off course. I was bringing my arm forward to pull another stroke when my hand suddenly hit the tendrils of something organic and sticky. I jerked away in a panic, bumping my head hard against the concrete ceiling. My left hand swung towards the other wall of the tunnel, where yet more organic tendrils awaited me. 
They reminded me how the octopus tentacles at our local aquarium felt wrapped around my hand when I visited back in elementary school. I paddled for a moment, slowly reaching out. The entire surface of the concrete walls below the water was covered in these organic tentacles. Then, the worst of all, off in the distance ahead of me, a distant metallic clinking sound grew steadily louder, like iron chains scraping against concrete. The tendrils on the walls responded to the sound, reaching out for me. The tunnel was still dark, pitch black, but I couldn't help but imagine some horrific creature making its way down the darkness of the tunnel towards me. Those horrible scraping chains were rapidly getting louder, but the echoing made it almost impossible to tell exactly how far. I dove down in the water, searching desperately for any light. There, some distance below me, I found yet another shimmering spot. I came up for a quick breath of air, and the metal on concrete coming from close enough that I feared I'd touch it if I reached out a hand. With a terrified moan, I dove down once more, fighting off the organic stickiness that attempted to wrap around my arms. I burst through this new surface and was immediately grateful that there seemed to be at least some light in this new location, even if it wasn't the green neon light that I'd prayed for. I spun around, taking in my new surroundings. Judging by the sudden lack of echoes, I was outside in a large open body of water. It was still nighttime, just like it was back in Maine, but I appeared to be inside a fog bank that limited my visibility to just a few feet in every direction. A single, hazy point of light, the moon, I assumed, shone through the fog in the distance. My arms and legs and lungs burned in protest as I slowly treaded water. I paused for a moment, allowing the water to slip over my head, then fought back to the surface. I'd been treading water for at least 15 minutes without rest. If I didn't find a place to rest soon, I'd soon drown. The thought surged a shot of adrenaline through me. Help, I shouted, is anyone there? The words had barely escaped me when the fog bank rolled past, giving me a clear view of my surroundings. I was treading water on the calm surface of a lake. All around me, fog banks were moving across the surface of the water, like implacable glaciers, slowly sliding down the mountainside. And, off in the distance, I caught sight of a large metal truss bridge hanging perhaps twenty feet over the surface of the water between the fog banks. I immediately swam towards it, hope rising in my chest. When I thought I'd be in earshot, I began shouting again, calling out for help. I looked closer as it came to a stop underneath the bridge. Staring up 
at its rusted underside. There were shapes hanging underneath it. Shapes that... that... My blood went cold. The shapes were bodies. At least a dozen bodies were chained, hanging upside down under the bridge, swaying in the chill fall breeze. Most were decayed, but several still had skin. One of the newer bodies was a young girl, no older than eleven. I stopped swimming, staring up in horror. The pause caused me to sink, almost dipping below the water. The scraping metal sound. The same sound I heard in the dark tunnel. It was coming from above the bridge. I felt my entire body tense up. Then I dove down with only half a lung full of air, half choking on the lake water. I didn't know what was making that sound, but I knew if I stayed under that bridge, I'd end up just like those poor people. I pulled at the water furiously, diving down towards what I prayed would be my friends. The lake water soon smothered any visibility from the moonlight, leaving me in pitch blackness. I continued to swim to scan ahead of me for any shimmering water. My body rebelled, forcing me to take a mouthful of water. I gagged, then turned back for the surface. For three strokes, I feared that I got turned around, that I was moving down, or worse, sideways. But no, on the next stroke, I saw a faint flash of moonlight. I swam like mad and burst through the surface, coughing and sputtering. I threw up into the lake, most of it water, and I spun trying to get my bearings. He was staring at me from where he'd hung the bodies under the bridge. I say he, because he was wearing a man's suit coat and slacks, as if we were from the late 1800s. But I don't think he was human. Humans have eyes, not pits. Humans have fingers attached to their hands instead of chains. Humans can't smile the way he was smiling. He was hanging from his right hand, chains wrapped around a truss. The chains of his other hand reached out and pushed forward a few bodies like a child swatting a wind chime. Then he reached for me. The chains holding him to the bridge slowly uncoiled lowering him towards the surface of the water. The chains on his other hand spread out, snaking towards me with a supernatural speed. I didn't have a master plan. All I knew was that I would do anything rather than be caught, including drown. 
I took a single sharp gulp of air, then dove down just before the chains reached me. I swam faster and deeper than before, the adrenaline coursing through my veins like fire. Seven strokes. Eight. Eleven. Fifteen. Twenty-three. He still hadn't caught me. He was probably waiting for me to re-emerge. I wasn't going to. I continued to pull, my lungs burning, my already tired arms begging me to stop. My lungs gave an involuntary gulp again, but this time I was ready and locked my jaws and lips. Thirty-eight strokes. Forty-five. I was starting to lose consciousness, but I was fairly certain I was still swimming straight down at least. At last, there, at last, I saw the light, shimmering, neon green light. Darkness crowded at the edges of my vision, but I blew what little air remained in my lungs out in a cacophony of bubbles. The next thing I knew, I was sputtering water and coughing on a cool concrete floor. I spun around and saw Travis, along with all of my friends, each watching me with a concerned expression. Dude, Travis said, where have you been? Don't dive into the water, I said between retching coughs. Don't go in the water. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Brimstone Society. Brimstone Society is narrated by Matt Brides, edited by Robert Martin, and produced by Crystal Welch. You can find more from Brimstone Society at our social media pages, We have a Facebook group, an Instagram account, and TikTok. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Brimstone Society Pod. If you would like to further support Brimstone Society, please check out our Patreon. There, you can get access to our Discord group, which is a small community of people that will gain access to early episodes and other goodies that we decide you would like. And suggestions are always welcome. And please, leave us a review. We're always looking to grow and be better, and any help along the way would be much appreciated. Thank you, and have a wonderful night.